Welcome to the Woman Warriors Podcast, where we're working to help you call a truce with your anxiety. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, here's your host, Elizabeth Cush, LCPC. Welcome back to the Woman Warriors podcast. Today, my guest is Kristen Ulmer. We're going to be talking about her book, The Art of Fear. Kristen is a thought leader who draws from her tenure as the best woman extreme skier in the world for 12 years, from her intense study of Zen, and from thousands of hours facilitating clients on the subject of fear. Her work has been featured on NPR and in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, USA Today, Outside Magazine, and many other publications. Currently, she lives in Salt Lake City, Utah, and continues to coach and teach about how to create or shift our relationship with fear. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for being a part of the Woman Warriors podcast. I really appreciate your taking the time to talk to us today. Excited to be here. Yeah. So uh, just for the listeners to know, I um, stumbled upon Kristen's book and um, an interview with her on a different podcast when I went to the podcast movement convention in Philly this summer. Um, I met Marion, and I'm forgetting her name, but I think she was a part of the film production of the other podcast, um, which now I'm forgetting the name of that podcast too, but uh, Spartan Up, I think it was called. Yes. Yeah. And so she's like, you need to listen to, you know, once I talked to her about my podcast, she's like, you need to listen to this interview with Kristen Ulmer, because her book on fear is all about allowing fear into your life. And I was like, all right. So I listened, and then I reached out to you. And here you are. Yeah, thanks for reaching out. It's my favorite subject. I'll talk about fear any chance I get. That's awesome. So Tell us a little bit about yourself for people who maybe don't know who you are um, and what brought you from being an extreme skier to writing about fear. Well, I will say that as a, as a fear and anxiety specialist, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a researcher, but I have put my life on the line hundreds of times, if not thousands of times, and I've dealt with a tremendous amount of fear, life or death situations, uh, sometimes on a daily basis during my ski career. I was considered the best woman big mountain extreme skier in the world for 12 years, And I was voted the most fearless woman athlete in North America. And then since retiring as an athlete, I studied Zen for uh, 16 years now, ravenously curious Mm. about the relationship that we have with fear. And then I've also worked with thousands of clients, helping them uh, with their fear and anxiety issues. So that's my background. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me just say, I today watched a few um, videos of your extreme skiing, you know, there's stuff on YouTube, I googled you and some of the stuff is death defying and frightening and made my heart drop. 
Well, I learned exactly what works regarding fear and exactly what doesn't work regarding fear after about 33 years of just figuring it out. Um, It's been really interesting. And what I learned, uh, and I'll just start it off with a bang, is that what most people are teaching about fear um, is hurting us, not helping us. Yeah. You know, as you mentioned in the book that like, most people deal with fear by ignoring it, pushing it away, telling it to shut up, avoiding it at all costs. But you're saying something different. It's even worse than that. That's not only what most people do, but what most experts teach is the conquering or overcoming of fear or rationalizing it away or letting it go, Um declaring victory over it. Like it's hard to find somebody out there that doesn't use the word fear and conquer or fear and overcome in the same sentence. Like you need to overcome, you need to conquer your fear, declare victory over it. And it suggests a war that we have with this perceived enemy. And that war is being fought in our unconscious world. And we've definitely found a way to win a few battles. Um, But ultimately, the war is proving unwinnable. And how do I know this? Um, Because irrational fear, anxiety, panic attacks, they're only getting worse and worse. Um, It's just what we're doing around fear is absolutely not working. And it's time to try something new. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting. I started this podcast in March of this year. And the whole purpose of my podcast is to allow women to call a truce with their anxiety. So it's like not conquering, but I want them to recognize that it's always going to be there. And, and anxiety is a representation of fear. I mean, it's, that's what's at the base of it. And so what I like about your book is that it's not even just acknowledging or allowing it, but it's saying like, come closer. I want to get to know you better. I want you to be a part of my life. And I think that's pretty amazing. Well, let's uh, go back to what you started saying about anxiety, because I think this is a really interesting point. Anxiety is fear. Yeah. We've started calling it anxiety because for some reason we have a stigma about the word fear. Like the guy on Wall Street, he's like, oh, I'm pickled in anxiety, you know, and it's almost a rite of passage. We we think that he wouldn't be doing a very good job or being very committed to his career if he wasn't pickled in anxiety. He's never going to say, I'm pickled in fear. No. You know, that, <laughs> that sends a different message, but it's basically saying exactly the same thing. Specifically, anxiety is recirculating fear, or even more specifically, it's fear that you haven't dealt with in your everyday life that's been pushed down into your system that's now kind of recirculating round and round and round, trying to get your attention. Yeah. And But anxiety is fear. Um, it, they're basically the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, as you said, I think that anxiety makes it more socially acceptable, the word, you know, where like, yeah, somebody's coming up to you saying, I'm terrified right now. You're going to be like, what the heck? Right. Like there's, oh, there's something wrong with you. I can't believe you admit that in public, right? <laughs> right. But, but we use different words like anxiety, worry, nerves. I'm mm-hmm. feeling nervous, you know. Mm-hmm. It's the same as saying I'm feeling afraid. We, we do anything we possibly can to avoid saying the obvious, which is I'm feeling afraid. Yeah. You know, like you're about to give a speech. Who says I'm feeling afraid? And, you know, what, what do people then do? Oh, there's no reason to feel afraid. But if you say I feel worried or I feel anxious, um, I'm super nervous, you know, it's a lot more socially acceptable. Just the word fear has such a stigma around yeah, it. Yeah, anymore. 
it truly does. And yeah, it's almost as if, well, for men and women, but I think too, maybe for men more, but that to admit fear is to be less than or to be considered weak. Right. Or there's a character flaw. Yeah. We've come to view this incredibly normal, natural experience. You know, everything that we experience in life is first run through the amygdala, the kind of the oldest part of the brain, two almond-sized nuggets at the top of the spine determining safe or not safe. Like everything is run through that part of the brain first. And so much happens in today's world. More happens in 24 minutes than happened in our great-grandparents' era in 24 years. <laughs> so the amygdala is freaking out. Out and just cranking out a lot of fear. I, I say in my book, faster than Joey Chestnut eats a, a hot dog. <laughs> That's right. right? That's right. <laughs> like, so we have a tremendous amount of fear in our lives. And we won't call it that. We're in denial about it. We're fear avoiders, yet it's such a huge part of who we are. And yet it's seen as a character flaw or a sign of personal weakness. It's like, it's like saying, oh, having eyeballs is a sign of personal weakness or having arms or legs or kidneys is a character flaw. It's, it's ridiculous. You know, yeah. fear is such a huge part of our lives. Yeah. And, and really keeps us safe from so many terrifying things. Right. And that's just basic fear stuff like yeah. oh it's you know the good things about fear is that it's here to keep us safe there's a lot more to fear than we realize i actually i'm like the ultimate pr director for fear i, I not only talk about how the repression of fear causes a lot of problems which you know we'll continue on that a little bit longer but eventually we'll get to actually if you honor fear it's the very thing that uh, takes you into higher states of awareness focus it's a great motivator. Um, it's it's pure wisdom. It's tapping into intuition and instinct. Actually, fear is one of the best parts of life, but mm. we're not there yet. Right now, we're just starting to deal with the fact that none of us are dealing with our fear in an honest way, and it's causing us a lot of problems. But know that that's where we're going. Yeah, yeah. And so, what created that shift for you? I mean, you went from extreme skier seeker of extreme experiences and you describe that um sort of time in your life as like being addicted to the fear or yeah addicted to fear of feeling fear and yet you weren't embracing it you weren't and what was the, how did that shift come about well I was a complete moron when I was a professional athlete. Like most professional extreme athletes, we were all a bunch of morons. We have no idea what's going on. And I definitely felt fearless. I wasn't aware of fear at all. And the reason why is I was really, really good at ignoring it. Exceptional at it, actually. And uh, But there were a lot of things going on. And I've dissected what was going on for me during my ski career. Um, first of all, I wasn't fearless. Fear was actually motivating me. Fear of being invisible, fear of not being loved. And you jump off a 70-foot cliff and throw a big old front flip, right? Mm -hmm. People no longer ignore you and they really love you, you know? So <laughs> it was, my fear was motivating me. Yeah. Um, I also... Uh, I did some things right by fear and I did some things wrong by fear. The things that I did right by fear is that I merged with fear. Um, I became intimate with fear. I loved feeling fear. Mm. And that's why I got became, became so good. It's like I was always willing to step out of my comfort zone and, ex, you know, where there exists fear. And it, that expands who you are. Anytime you're willing to feel fear, you're going to learn something new. You're going to expand who you are. 
And so I became the best in the world. And I was actually even to the point where I was addicted to feeling fear because it took me into those heightened states of awareness, the zone that I just briefly touched upon. Mm-hmm. You know, extreme sports are notorious for taking people into those higher altered states. And the reason why is because these sports are so scary. And, you know, extreme athletes are slightly more willing to feel fear than most people. <laughs> it's that, that intimacy with fear that actually takes them into intuition and um, flow and um, bringing your A game, you know, mm-hmm. to everything you do. It, it's really an extraordinary experience to merge with your fear. So that's what I was doing right by fear. Yeah. But what I was doing wrong by fear is I had a love-hate relationship with it. I was also really good, like I said, at ignoring it, and I repressed it pretty much like all of us do, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and next thing you know, I had to become a really rigid, stoic person to not feel my fear. And what do we know about rigid trees and heavy wind? They break. So I started having a lot of injuries. You know, mm-hmm. I find that you can get away with the, with the repression of fear for about 10 years, and then all of a sudden things just start to go south. For me, I had injuries. I was burnt out. I started to hate skiing because I had spent so much energy fighting a war with fear and it just was taxing all my resources. And then the third thing is I had seen a lot of friends die in the mountains, had a lot of near-death experiences, and uh, I wasn't dealing with the emotions properly. I was pushing them down and that results in PTSD. You know, push down emotions, then start recirculating and kind of taking over your life. And so... For me, the the I, I had kind of a, a paradox going on. I both loved fear and I I repressed it to the extreme, you know, a love hate relationship, and it was the repression of fear that ultimately got me to the point where I had to quit my skiing career. I didn't know what had gone wrong, and I tried to figure that out um, mm. by working with the Zen master, which yeah. led me to where I'm sitting today. And so, when clients come to you. How do you help the clients? What are they coming to you with? Like, how do they know to find you to work with? And what are they coming to you with? And then how do you help them? That's a lot of questions. <laughs> what what I am is a facilitator. Okay. So I don't actually give advice. I facilitate, I, like I broker a conversation between a client and their fear. Mm. Because everybody is so different. Some people ignore fear. Some people avoid fear. Other people try to use their intellect to rationalize it away. Other people kind of go the spiritual route and try to let it go through meditation and breathing exercises and positive affirmations, gratitude practice, all that. These are all ways to temporarily kind of have less fear. Mm -hmm. But what you do, like I was in the store the other day. Um... And I saw this kid, and he's saying, mommy, 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 right? <laughs> right? That's what you do with fear when you try to let it go or breathe it away or rationalize it away or all of that. It's like you get temporary relief. You don't have to deal with your fear. But next thing you know, that fear just starts to get louder and louder and more and more irrational and more and more crazy. Mm-hmm. And after about 10 years of doing these things, it's like, you know, I, I meet people who have to meditate like six times a day just to get through their day and, and mm. um, just to be able to get a few hours of sleep a night. You know, somebody will exercise eight hours a day like because they have such rabid insomnia because their fear is keeping them awake at night. You know, it's it just everybody is so different. Their relationship with fear and how they're not dealing with their fear mm-hmm. is so different. And so I broker that conversation, help them see their unique relationship, and then the problems that it's causing by not dealing with their fear. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I help people with problems such as panic attacks, anxiety disorders, insomnia, PTSD. I just created an online at-home course for PTSD. Mm -hmm. Um, It was commissioned for soldiers. It was, you know, it's the best thing I've ever created. Um, Depression. You know, all of these problems, underperforming, burnout, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. While they seem to not have much in common, they're all tied into the repression of fear. If you're not dealing with your primary emotion called fear in an honest way, then that fear gets pushed down and it either shows up in a very obvious, exaggerated way as irrational fear or panic attacks or anxiety disorders, or it shows up redirected in other ways, such as monkey mind or anger um, or depression. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these problems, they all have one thing in common in which they're either directly caused 100% or at least exacerbated by the repression of fear. Yeah. Well, and I like how you describe that like fear is you know, it's a part of you. It's there. And there's lots of parts that there's all these, you know, you described the thinking mind and, you know, in the book and, you know, fear. And I'm sure there's, there's a lot more that I'm not saying, but like all those parts of you that make up who you are. And that if you're not fully embracing all those parts, or all those voices or all those, you know, parts of you, then you're not treating yourself very well. Right. And right now in America, we're really big on love and joy and gratitude and forgiveness. And so imagine that you have the the traditional number in in Zen is 10,000. So imagine that you're a parent to 10,000 children. (laughs) And God forbid. Yeah, right. (laughs) And half your children you've named love, joy, happiness, gratitude. And half your children you've named fear, anger, sadness, despair, despite your best intention, would you be able to treat them all the same way? No, we, you know, we, we don't. And so what we tend to do is we tend to nurture and love and show off to the world joy, love, gratitude, forgiveness. And what we do is with these other children, we, we lock them in the basement and we throw away the key. And we're like, okay, this is who I am. I'm filled with joy. I'm love and light, right? Yeah. So, so now imagine if you're a child. And you've been locked in the basement, you know, like that mommy, mommy in the store, right? Locked (laughs) in the basement. You're down there with no food, no water, no love, no sunshine. Mm. Like, you're going to start acting out. Yeah, you're going to start banging on that basement door. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, you know, and that's what's happened. Um, Yeah. Next thing you know, uh, fear is just screaming and yelling. And the second your guard is dropped, it's going to come out in, in a very exaggerated or irrational way. For a lot of people, it shows up in the middle of the night when their guard is dropped and shows up it, like fear gets really clever at hijacking our minds mm-hmm. and running its unfulfilled agenda in, in a loop in our thoughts. And that's why people think that fear is in our minds. It's actually not. Mm-hmm. But repressed fear will become really clever at hijacking our minds. Yeah. Fear is actually very simple. It's a sensation of discomfort in our bodies, and it's meant to be felt. But if we're unwilling to have an honest relationship with that feeling, if we push it down, it will hijack our minds and show up in crazy thoughts or irrational fears or um, just phobias in general Mm -hmm. um, and on and on. And it's interesting because I would say that 
so I work, my specialty, I am a therapist, but my specialty is working with clients who have anxiety. And so, you know, the times they are most anxious are when it's quiet, when there isn't anything to do, when they're not busy doing, 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 then suddenly all the anxiety, all the fears, all the, you know, the, the it hijacks their mind into rehashing what happened before or what might be happening tomorrow and can be exhausting. They come to my office and say, I'm just tired all the time. I'm like, no wonder. I have, I came up with this uh, flight list, you know, all the things that we do so that we don't have to deal with our fear. Mm-hmm. And uh, top of the list is being super busy. Mm-hmm. You know, like we make ourselves so busy so that we don't have to deal with our fear um, and our anger and our sadness and a lot a whole host of other emotions or, you know, negativity for some people. Um, other people should go shopping. Mm-hmm. Other people oh, watch yeah. a lot of TV. Yep, Other porn, people, food. <laughs> right? Other people eat a lot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, it's funny when I hear people say, oh, I'm an emotional eater. It's actually more accurate to say, I'm eating to avoid having to deal with my emotions. Yes. You know? Yes. Like that's, you know, that's one way to not deal with our emotions. Um, being a really good student. You know, th- like there's a whole... The list that I have is probably about 150 words strong. Mm -hmm. Um, People get really analytical. People get super in their head so that they don't have to deal with the feelings in their bodies. Anyway, the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. And, you know, what's happened in our society is that the fear process is supposed to be really simple. Like perceived threat, discomfort in the body. You know, the amygdala is a manufacturing plant for fear. And the amygdala, for the amygdala, there's always a perceived threat, right? Yep. Discomfort to the body, and it's supposed to inspire fight or flight action. Mm-hmm. And it's a thought-free experience. But what we've done, because we've, uh, right now, emotional intelligence is seen as our ability to understand our emotions and control them, you know, which is crazy to me. <laughs> I mean, you can't understand your emotions. It's like trying to understand the universe. Right. And whatever you try to control winds up controlling you. So we're in our heads about our emotions. We're thinking about our emotions instead of feeling them. And so next thing you know, we're judging them as bad because it's an uncomfortable feeling. And we're now fighting or fleeing the emotion itself, fighting fear. And that's where all the language comes from, conquering, overcoming, declaring victory, victory over. And we're running away from fear, you know, trying to go shopping or go be busy or, or you know, um, three deep breaths or we're, you know, we're just doing everything we possibly can to run away from this fear. It's just not working. Mm-mm. No. You know? Right. And so fighting or fleeing has to be redefined in today's terms. You know, what we're fighting or fleeing, like the fear has become the new tiger that we're running away from. Mm-hmm. Um, we're becoming anxiety nat- nation. And ultimately, people are then resorting to um, either prescription or recreational drugs to medicate the fear away mm-hmm. because it, what we're doing isn't working. And, uh, you know, we're at the United States of anxiety and um, statistics are on the rise. You know, and the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. It's really time to do something different. Oh, yeah. And um, I have some ideas. You know, I have a, the whole second half of my book talks about what to do instead. Yeah, it's right? very uh, powerful. And and I think like one of the quotes that I loved, and uh, I think this was actually on the 
the other podcast, the Spartan Up podcast, and you said to the interviewer, like, however you're treating fear is how you're treating yourself. And I just thought that was such a powerful thing. So I just wanted to say that. But so like, if we're constantly pushing it away, locking it in the basement, that's what we're doing to ourselves. And so we need to create this new relationship, understanding, and you ultimately say like, uh, unconditional love for our fear. Right. And it's hard to get there, though, if you've been fighting a war with it your whole life. And just uh, reflecting on what you just said, because fear is such a huge part of who we are. um, Yes, however you treat fear is how you treat yourself. If you hate fear, you hate yourself. Um, And ultimately, I can summarize everything in this one sentence. Your relationship with fear is the most important relationship of your life because it's the relationship that you have with yourself at your core. And so it's important to make it the best relationship possible. Mm. Yeah. And how you, how you can make it the best relationship possible is, first of all, you need to wake up and become aware of what your relationship is with fear. And everybody is so different. And it used to be said that knowledge is power. You know, the person that said that said that in like the late 1400s, right? (laughs) When we still thought the earth was flat, like it's kind of obsolete. What is actually more true in today's world is awareness is power. And that's ultimately what I help clients with, becoming aware of their relationship with fear by asking really good questions Mm. and facilitating them in a dialogue, you know, a conversation between them and their fear. Like, do you avoid it? Do you, do you try to rationalize it away? Um, is there a part of you that actually enjoys feeling fear? Like just getting to know that flavor, you know, mm-hmm. between you and fear is super powerful. Because once you're aware of it, you now have choices. You know, no awareness, no choices. You're just going to repeat unconscious patterns over and over again like a robot, right? Yeah. Things that you learned from childhood. But once you become aware of your relationship, you now have choices. Yeah. So that's the first part. And then the next part is I, I would have to say that the best thing that you can do to turn your relationship with fear around is to change your language about how you talk about fear. You know, if you're used to saying, I hate feeling fear, um, I want to conquer it. I want to overcome it. Like, if you get nothing out of this podcast, you know, <laughs> just please stop saying the word overcome and fear in the same sentence. Okay? <laughs> it's totally disrespectful to fear. And, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway is super disrespectful to fear. Like, the word anyway, mm. you know, like, hey, fear, we're going to do this thing together and I'm going to do it despite the fact that you're here. Wow. Right. Imagine if your roommate talked to you that way. It's yeah. really rude. Right? Yeah, it's very right. It's uh, yeah, patronizing or minimizing or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, if your friend says, "I feel afraid," you know, it's, don't say there's nothing to be afraid of because it's not true. That's BS. Like there is something to be afraid of. So, changing your language about how you talk about fear, and I have this language guide on my website. It's really, really cool. It's like 10 pages long. It's a dictionary. I think is the single most important um, step that you can take after becoming aware of your relationship with fear towards turning it around to having it be more of an inclusive relationship with fear, being more in flow with it, Um, saying things like, I want to be at peace with fear or I want to make friends with fear can go a really long way. Mm. Adding to that, you know, a lot of your book talks about 
curiosity around fear. So really wanting to know more instead of wanting to know less, really, right? Like wanting to better understand it, befriend it, feel it, all of that. Yeah, blocking out fear just kind of makes you go dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you're only half alive. You're you're just not really present. It's, you know, it's um and it's a battle. It's just exhausting, you yeah. know. Yeah. 10 years later, like we even see gymnasts at age 17 who are burnt out. Like that's has to do with the fact that they they're taught by their coaches to block out the fear, to mm. be unafraid. You know, it's just it's crazy that we're not including fear into our human experience. And then the last thing mm-hmm. that I really recommend people do is um, we're so in our heads, like our big sexy brains, we feel like it's the key to everything. Mm-hmm. That if we just try to understand things. And so at this point, we're dealing with our emotions intellectually. And uh, emotions are meant to be dealt with emotionally. Mm. And so we, we, go to therapy and we try to understand why we have these irrational fears it's like we talk and think and talk and think and talk and think about the fear when really what we need to do is find some sort of therapeutic resource where we can just learn how to feel our fear rather than talk and think about it so true yeah it's like there's no end to how much processing you can do around and around around fear it just gets super complicated really fast and you're never going to get to the bottom of it right well like you said it keeps you all in your head instead of where you need to be which is you know in your body and feeling it and knowing what's there right and same goes with anger and sadness and a whole host of other emotions um like can we learn how to feel our emotions so my, I said before that our current definition of emotional intelligence in our culture, and there's a lot of books out there that suggest this, is our ability to understand our emotions and control them. Um, I suggest that emotional intelligence should be our ability to feel our emotions in an honest way and have them help us come alive. Mm. Yeah. And so we've been mostly talking about feeling our emotions in an honest way, like starting there you know, is a journey. Yeah. Have them help us come alive is the next big part. Um, and, and that's really what I was tapping into during my ski career. Like I have never felt more alive in my life than I, when I was in scary situations and really merging with the fear and having an intimate relationship with it. And, uh, so that's in the book too. That's also what I teach. But at this point, I'm spending most of my time just trying to get people to stop repressing fear and, and start to have an honest relationship with it. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's a big job. It is a big <laughs> job. And, and I know the good news is, as far as therapeutically, there has been a shift in terms of how to deal with emotional trauma and physical trauma is, you know, working with the body and working with your physical experience. So that's the upside of a lot of the research that's happening now. So that's good news that people, therapists are working and getting trained in how to be more in touch with the physical and the emotions in the physical state. So that's good news. It is. Yes. It's huge. Yes. Finally. Finally. Yeah. (laughs) And, and it's becoming, I don't know if mainstream, you know, I talk to a lot of other trauma therapists, so I, I know what's happening that in that realm, at least anyway. So I see there being four levels of Mm. what's being taught out there. 
And the majority, unfortunately, is still the first level, which is, you know, overcome it. The whole cognitive, go, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. uh, replace it with gratitude. Retrain you your brain. Fear. Retrain right. your brain. <laughs> you know, like cognitive behavioral therapy is the current proven treatment to help people with, uh, you know, severe anxiety and, yeah. and all that, yep. which is crazy. It's like retraining your brain to desensitize yourself to feeling your fear. It's like, seems excessive. <laughs> right. <you know>? right. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I have a, a vice grip on my toe. Okay, I'm going to retrain my brain to just not you know, feel the fear of my toe. Right. But, to tell myself that I can separate myself from my toe. It's like, okay, it's, it's not real. It's like, okay, why don't we just take the vice grip off your toe first? Like, it's right. Like right. So right now, like there's all, there's, there's still the majority of teachings out there is conquer, overcome, triumph over it. You know, even letting it go, you know, what does that even mean? You don't mm. even know what it is that you're letting go of, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, and it's a temporary possibility, you know, buys you a moment of relief, you know, you got to you got to juice it like an orange. So that's the first level. And I would still say that more than 95% of most therapists, teachers, all that out there are still in that stuck in that realm. So maybe even more. So then the next level, and we're starting to see this a lot more, you're definitely one of them, you know, that's heading, we're all heading in the right direction, where you teach that fear is normal and natural, you don't want to repress it, you need to accept that it's part of your life, you know, that's a step in the right direction, but it's still in your head, you know, so that's level two. Level three is when you start to feel the fear. And this is kind of where you transition out of your head and into your body and meet the emotions where they want to be met, which is as feelings in your body. Um, and uh, it's, but it's still you feeling fear. There's still some separation between you and the fear. And then the fourth level is becoming intimate with fear, where there is no separation between you and it. And it actually becomes this incredible resource that taps you into intuition, instinct, motivation, higher levels of performance. And it was the intimacy that we see, we're just starting to see in leaders in our culture, um, definitely professional athletes. Um, I've, I've seen a few, like I think that Richard Branson's probably there, definitely Laird Hamilton, the best big wave surfer in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, by the way, most extreme athletes are still at level one. And they're, they're you know, right, resulting in PTSD and, and a whole host of injuries and problems and burnout and all that. Um, but we're just starting to see level four, and it's a really exciting time. It is, it is. And I hope the trend continues uh, as we go forward. I wanted to just read uh, something from your book, if that's okay. So you, this chapter, you know, it's as you're learning to, um, it's called Kissing the Dragon. So you're talking about honoring your fear. And you say, I'm asking you to honor an individual that makes you very uncomfortable and live in a state of recognition that you will never be free from its discomfort. And I just, I don't know, I just love that. Because that's what I keep telling my clients. You just have to love that it's uncomfortable. (laughs) Because... (laughs) That's what anxiety is. And it's trying to talk to you and wants you to listen. It's your body saying, pay attention. I have something to tell you. 
Right. I have a, a course on my website, uh, Finally Free from Chronic Anxiety. And I don't make the claim that I'm going to get rid of your anxiety, but I'm going to bring it down to normal levels of right. anxiety. Right. You know, and there's, there's such a situation, uh, you know, a problem in life is too little anxiety. You know? Yes. And yeah. people are then bored out of their freaking minds, right? Mm -hmm. So what we want to go for is normal levels of anxiety. And basically, when it comes to fear, you have two choices. You can either repress it or ignore it or avoid it or, you know, rationalize it away. That whole thing that I've been talking about. And whatever you repress becomes your repressor and it'll just take over your life and it'll be exaggerated and excessive and it's just a hard life. Or you can honor your fear, make friends with it, and you're still going to feel fear. But it's like kind of turning towards that whining child, you know, and giving it your undivided attention. It calms right down. Yeah. You know, you're still going to feel fear, but it's going to be reasonable levels of fear. And your life is just going to be so much easier. And that's why I say your relationship with fear is the most important relationship of your life. Because your life just gets so much easier if you have a healthy, honest, inclusive, considerate relationship with your fear versus fighting a war with it your whole life, which is just insanity. Yeah. Yeah. Exhausting. And it, and it, and it kills you, right? It's high blood pressure and heart attacks right. and all of that. I liken it to uh, anybody that's ever been skydiving, jumping out of an airplane and trying to resist gravity. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you're living your life and you're trying to resist gravity. That's what it means to try and resist fear, right? Yeah. It's, it's horrifying. Or trying to swim upstream. It's just exhausting and eventually you're going to drown. You know, yeah. versus just flowing with the natural states of life or just kind of going with gravity, going with fear, uh, your life is just going to feel a lot easier. Oh, my gosh. And it's interesting. Um, as I was reading your book, I think you, you know, sort of walk through like, okay, think of something distressing and then name, you know, the experience. And it's amazing how quickly when you're if you're feeling fear and saying, okay, I'm afraid of this, whatever it is, like, or I'm feeling some fear around this situation, it does change it. It changes the, you know, noticing where you're feeling it, but then being able to say that, yep, that's what it is. This is fear right here. It's like, oh, okay. All right. Then. It feels right. heard, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, like, let's say you're about to give a speech. You know, of course you're going to feel fear. Mm -hmm. The problem comes when, if you think that there's something wrong with you, that you're feeling it, you yeah. know? Um, and one of the big steps that I help people with is realize it's normal and natural to feel the fear. And actually that fear is help, here to help you be sharp and focused in that moment. And here's the other thing however much you're willing to be with that fear. I mean, even just agreeing to give the speech, right? It's like saying, okay, I'm willing to do something really scary because there's a chance that I could feel really amazing afterwards. So however much in advance you're willing to be with the fear is in direct proportion to the exhilaration that you feel afterwards. Mm, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. I like that. Well, it makes it much more approachable, right? 
you're like, oh, right. I, I could feel good after this. <laughs> and let me just say, I had a little bit of fear interviewing you today. I don't know why. I mean, I've interviewed lots of people, but for whatever reason, you're a little out of, typically I'm interviewing a lot of other therapists or mindfulness experts, and this was a little out of my scope, but I did it anyway. So there you go. Well, you should be scared of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, you know, I've, I've been giving talks about fear for years now, and I, you know, I'm terrified. Like, <laughs> I'm radically challenging existing norms about what to do about fear. And it's a scary thing to do. And, you know, I feel a lot of fear when I'm about to do pretty much anything. And, you know, but I've learned how to not resist it, you know, um, suffering equals discomfort times resistance. Like, let's say my discomfort is a level 10 and my resistance is a level 10. That's a lot of suffering, right? If I can get my resistance down, though, I still feel the discomfort, but I don't have as much suffering around it, you know? And it's, and so what I do is like, I was about to give a speech. um, One in particular, I was just like practically having a panic attack beforehand. This was a year ago. You know, I'm about to talk about fear and anxiety and uh, (laughs) so and I'm I'm looking out I'm like okay well you know most people would take a Xanax or something or imagine the audience naked right right and there was one guy in the front row by the way I think that might have worked but anyway (laughs) um but instead I went back behind the building and I just spent some time acknowledging it's normal and natural to feel it I noticed that my um, fear level was high you know level 10 Mm. My, so my discomfort was high. My resistance to it, though, was a level 10, which is why I was freaking out so much. Because mm-hmm. I was in a state of, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I just want to be home, you know. Yep. And the resistance, actually, this is a really important point. Most people, that awful feeling that you associate with being fear, it's actually not the fear itself. That's your resistance to fear. That's your, I don't want to feel this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to feel this. That's what people think fear is. It's not. That's the resistance to the fear. So I spent some time having an honest relationship with my resistance. And then I spent some time feeling my fear. It took me about two minutes. And I calmed right down and I went on stage and it was great. Whereas most people would just go and breathing and like say, you got this and use a rational mind. And, and, you know, eventually they'd give up giving speeches. It's like, I can't do this anymore. It's not working. Whereas what I'm suggesting works so fast and it just calms that whining child down so fast, you know? Mm -hmm. I do. I do. And I am, I am all in. (laughs) I, I, I totally get it. So if there were, you've given some amazing tips already here, but if there were resources that you felt were really important for the listeners to know about, or if there's a tip that you feel like would be super helpful, what would that look like? Well, start a fear practice, you know, enough with the gratitude practice or the calm practice, like start a fear practice. Like, you know, if you build a huge mansion on a cracked foundation, it's just going to crumble. Like you got to work on the foundation first. And the foundation is found by establishing a healthy relationship with your fear. Hmm. And fear makes up pretty much all the other negative, I, I put quotes around negative voices like beneath jealousy is fear Mm -hmm. beneath unworthiness is fear beneath you know feelings of um, 
you know, poor self-esteem, poor self-worth, lies fear. Like you, you start to deal with your fear in an honest way. And a lot of these things just kind of organically sort themselves out. So start a fear practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, read my book. You know, that could be the start of your fear practice. I have a ton of resources on my website to help people. I have the Change Your Language Guide. I have a 100 questions to being in flow with your emotions, which is also one of the best things I've ever written. It's, it's, it's so thorough. Oh, and yeah. it's, it's only like 29 bucks, you know. Nice. And I also, you know, if somebody needs more help than that, I have uh, freedom from chronic anxiety, freedom from fear of failure, and freedom from PTSD courses, or work with me privately, either with webinars, one-on-one, you know, live events. I I have lots of resources. Or come skiing with me. There you go. (laughs) Well, and I would say some of the language stuff and some of people want to get a sense for what that is, like some of the language, changing your language and the questions on flow and getting in touch with your emotions are also in the book. So super helpful. So you can buy the book and get a taste of what that's like. Right. And you and I might be the only few people on the planet that are really embracing this message, Mm. you know? And so if if your therapist is still kind of suggesting that you try to use your rational mind to understand fear or where it comes from, you know, it's, it's interesting, but it's, it's not going to help you as much as just learning how to feel it. Like find somebody who will help you learn how to feel your emotions in an honest way Mm -hmm. and things change and they change really fast. Well, this conversation, I feel like probably we could continue it for another 40 minutes or however long it's been, but I'm going to wrap it up and maybe we'll come back and move into the more uh, in-depth, like what that looks like when you're really touching your fear, enjoying, you know, appreciating it, loving it, and we can talk about that another time. Fear 2.0. Exactly. (laughs) All right. Awesome. Well, thank you, Kristen, so much for your time. And I really appreciated and enjoyed talking to you today. Yeah, thank you. It's been wonderful. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kristen Ulmer. Her perspective on embracing fear, on befriending fear, on bringing fear into your life as a part of your ordinary everyday experience. It really meshes with my perspective on managing anxiety, we, which is why I created this podcast. The fear and the anxiety are going to be there. And the more we fight them, the more we push it away, the more we avoid it, the more at war with ourselves we become and the more distress we feel. So welcoming fear and anxiety into your life, I know might sound radical and crazy, but I think it's the best way that we can feel better about ourselves and feel more comfortable in our skin with who we are. I'd love to know your thoughts, hear your comments. I'd love to hear any potential guest suggestions you might have or ideas you would like to hear on the podcast. Have a wonderful week, and I hope you take a step towards embracing your fears. Ciao for now from This Woman Warrior.
Thanks for listening and subscribing to the Woman Warriors podcast. Music was written and performed by Andy Cush. If you'd like more information on this episode, you can find the show notes, the resources shared today, and links to the guests' profiles at womanwarriors.com.